Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Monica. And you're listening to Cage Nation. Welcome, everyone. This is our first episode of Cage Nation, and we have a guest here. Um, but first, it's this is Hannah. And this is Monica. And our guest for today is Rochelle. Um, Rochelle and I met almost a year ago, um, right? You've, almost a year ago, November, um, at work, um, a place where we were both working at the time. Um, and she's our first guest, so we're so grateful to have her. Do you want to introduce yourself, Rochelle? Okay. Hi, I'm Rochelle. And yeah, as Hannah said, we met at our place of employment, um, last November, and I am in the position of a supervisor over Recovery Mentors, which is um, something that I have a really strong passion for in the recovery community. Um, And Hannah has since moved on, and we've stayed in touch, and so it's an honor to be here. So to start off um, every episode, we're asking the same question. So Rochelle, when did your sentence end? Uh, my prison sentence ended, ironically, um, eight years and one week ago. It was June 21st of 2011. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty significant day for you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about why you remember that day? Um, like you might remember a birthday or an anniversary or a clean date? Well, I just remember that day because when I was released, I really just didn't know what my future was going to look like. And I had a lot of fears about... Um, I had gained some clean time while I was incarcerated, but I didn't know if that was the life I was going to continue living. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to, but I didn't know if I would be able to. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what my family would be like, and I didn't know what my employment would look like because now I had a criminal record, um, which was something new for me. And, yeah, I just didn't know what the future was going to be, and so it was really scary. Um, And so as I got out and and got into the world and like started building a foundation, um, that day is just super significant for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even at the time when you had a lot of fears or there was a lot of question marks, um, it means something different for you now, but at the time didn't really know. Right. There were so many unknowns about what, what life was going to be like Mm -hmm. after prison. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And do you think about that day? Like, were you anticipating that day or did it just kind of come up and you were surprised by it? So in the beginning, the first probably few years, it was, I prepped for it. Like, oh, it's coming up. It's coming up. And like I would a birthday or clean date, Christmas or anything. And now as more time goes, uh, I don't think of it daily. I don't even think of it monthly um, or even quarterly. But um, thank goodness for Facebook, like there's memories. (laughs) And so the memories pop up. (laughs) And every year I just reflect on how my life is different from the year prior. And there's been a lot of significant changes mm-hmm. each year, mm-hmm. um, a lot of successes, and then also some um, challenges that I've gotten through. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't think of it as often, but the, the day itself still means so much. Can you talk about what it was like um, a day after your release? So either the day that you were released or 24 hours after mm-hmm. you were released, what was that like? Um, I remember my daughter's father and my daughter, my youngest daughter, picked me up. And him and I were not in a relationship. And um, 
he drove me around everywhere I needed to go, just the PO, and I lost my inmate ID right away somewhere in downtown Portland. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like within a couple hours of being released, I did, no longer had ID, and I was like, oh, this is great. So immediately something has gone wrong. Yes. yes. <laughs> and um, and so I powered through that. I think I, if I remember correctly, I went and got an Oregon ID card. Um, my license was suspended, so I wasn't able to get that. Um and then I went to a transitional home and through another organization where I did, uh, I had to do a trans leave and an aftercare program. And I remember being really angry that I had to do this aftercare program because I had done treatment while I was in prison. And I was Can like, Can you say what aftercare is? Yeah. It was, so I did uh, residential treatment while I was incarcerated. And so then there was um, basically outpatient treatment mm -hmm. afterwards. And I was so angry that I had to do this aftercare program because, well, don't they know I just healed myself in there? Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of my mentality. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm out. Why am I having to continue anything? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I lived in this house and it was super structured and with a bunch of other women, which I was kind of angry about that too, because I had just been incarcerated with a and whole bunch of women. how much time had you been incarcerated? I did 18 months. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there was a lot of like, I was really angry about a lot of things and, and, but at the same time felt like I was going to be able to live a different life. So it was weird. It was kind of like this, uh, real ambivalent feeling. And so I started my aftercare program. Well, I met the day of, I met my PO. Um, I had met her prior cause she came into the prison to meet me. So that was good. Um, and I think that was actually really beneficial. So I didn't feel like I was meeting an authoritative stranger. Mm. Um, and so I met her, just kind of went and did some shopping, went and then just like hung out at the house and like at stayed the, there at the transitional, at the transitional house. house. Yes. And so I stayed there. And then I think my, for the first week, I believe I probably had, um, my assessment appointment or my intake appointment with the aftercare program. And so I got signed up with that. Um, I was told not to work right away, which was a struggle for me. I wanted to work right away. Why do they ask you not to work in those types of situations? Well, I think that it's to really focus on um, there's a lot that we have to do. Um, you know, treatment, which could mean anywhere from two to five days a week, plus a weekend uh, UA, random UA, plus an appointment with the PO, um, plus meetings. Uh, house Plus meeting, reintegrating into the community, reintegrating yeah. into the community, trying to navigate life again in a different capacity than you did before, you know, because you're not using, you're not, you're not doing anything right. that no. you were doing before. Right. No mm -hmm. criminal activity, mm -hmm. no using, no drinking. Um, yeah, it's, it was a lot. Yeah. I remember my plate just being so full and thinking, how can I? Plus, trying to be a mom again um, and re repair those relationships. Mm. Um, and fit in with my the rest of my family. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And so no job. So no job. So therefore, I had no income. And that was really stressful. Um, so I started going to treatment and ended up... I loved my counselor. She was just phenomenal. And so we connected right away. And so that helped. And, and I told her I was angry I had to be there. And she understood. And didn't shame me for that. And so it made me... It encouraged me to want to continue going. Um, and then little successes started happening. You know, I remember that was um, June, and by November I had my license back. Um, I had to pay off some fines and, and do all that, and I did. 
And so I had my license back. Um, when I was able to get a job, I got a job. I actually worked at, um, I got my first job in September and it was at a call center and I worked there for two years Wow! at a call center. Well, that's humbling. Yeah. Right. It was very humbling. And the reason I did that, I told myself once I started being, once I stopped being angry and just accepting like this was a process for a reason, I told myself, I'm going to stick this job out as long as I have to until something, what I want to do comes along. And, um, I needed to build a foundation because I hadn't worked for so long. So I needed to show something on a resume that showed stability and that I wouldn't give up. And so in a call center for two years, <laughs> which crazy. I mean, I've worked in the programming that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, with the, the types of people that are coming out mm-hmm. who are not happy to be there, um, and the call center is one of the first places people look to for work, mm-hmm. and they usually don't stay more than what a couple months. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that you were able to see that far into the future and have your your mindset that that you knew you had to show stability and you knew that you had to commit to something is so incredible. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just knew that that had to happen in order to in order to grow any in any other way. You know, I was being garnished for child support, making nine something an hour. Um, so it was hard. It was yeah. super hard, but I just kept doing it. I kept showing up every day and I just made it work. So I stayed in the, tra- so this transitional house was supposed to be 90 days and that was my, uh, I didn't have to pay anything for that 90 days. Mm. And after the 90 days, I said, I want to pay and stay here because I wasn't ready to go out on my own at that point. Um, so I became a renter and was that common in the house or was that unique for you to ask to stay and rent or were other women doing that too? I don't know that it was real common and a lot of people ended up not being successful on their trans leave and going back to prison. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't a lot like me at that time that had been successful. Um, so I rented for, let's see, that was June, July, August, September. I think I rented for two or three months And then I found another recovery house organization to move to. um, And I moved there. And so for that year, I just continued working, saving money, getting bills paid off, um, rebuilding relationships with my kids. I have two daughters. um, And, yeah, just, just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to remove myself from labeling myself as I'm a criminal now to... I can be a productive member of society. Uh, my PO put me on Case Bank, um, which is where I didn't have to check in or anything like that. And she did that pretty quickly. And there was me and one other girl in the house, and we were the first two clients that she'd ever put on Case Bank. Got my license back, moved into another recovery house, um, and it was a co ed house, which was interesting. <laughs> but it was good. I mean, I, I, was able to form a family from the people that live there. Um, I'm still super close with everyone from that house today. Um, And I lived there for almost a year until I got my own place. So 18, 19 months or so um, after release is when I moved into my my own place. Which was about the amount of time that you spent in prison, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, 
so that took quite a long time to start rebuilding some things mm-hmm. or maybe building some things for the first time, maybe right. things that you had never done before mm-hmm. or were brand new to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does take a long time. It's not overnight. You know, I didn't lose my entire life overnight, and it took time to rebuild it too, you know, and I'm still doing it. I mean, eight years later, I'm still doing things that are new. When you think about the question, when does a person sentence end, does that shift anything for you? Because you work in the field um, mm-hmm. with people who are getting out of prison. You work, now you mentor mentors who are in the field. You're, you supervise mentors. What does it mean for you when you are working with someone or you're working with someone who is working with someone who just got out of prison? Like, I really... I'm super passionate for them and I have a lot of, um, I feel like I'm really good at holding space for them and just giving them hope and trying to, I'm very open with my story. I will tell, I walked through the lobby at work today and, um, there was a couple different clients there that were like, Rochelle, come here and sit with me. And we sat down and talked and what's new with you. And I was telling them, you know, the newest updates, because I think that it's really important that people know where I came from and where I'm at because they can too do it. Um, I remember being terrified and knowing that, you know, my life was going to be different. I couldn't go and I couldn't work in a law office or I couldn't work in a hospital or I couldn't, you know, all of these different things that were going to be doors shut on me um, because of my criminal record. And that's a, a huge fear and it's a valid fear. Mm. And so when people, you know, I got in, in trouble one time, one time went to prison and um, ended up with nine felonies out of it. And so absolutely terrified about what, how that was going to impact me for the rest of my life. And so I just really share with people, like, anything is possible. And, and I tell people, um, if you were to write something down right now, you know, on day one of being clean or day one of being released from prison or, you know, day one of any part of it, if you wrote down your five biggest wishes, I guarantee you in five years you'd look back and go, that's all I wished for? That's really all I wished for? Because it's so much bigger than that. Um, you know, our past doesn't have to define us for sure. It's the community though. I couldn't have done it without the recovery community and, and my PO and my counselor. Um, and there's actually a UA tech that made a huge impact. It was my first UA that I had to take. Um, and I somehow missed, (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing, but I missed the hat to Mm -hmm. pee in. And so it was going to count as a dirty UA, and that meant going back to prison. And I completely just, I lost it. I was like, I can't. Like, I just got out, and my PO was on vacation. Actually, it was the first, that's right, she was on vacation when I got out. I saw somebody else, her partner. Um, And so I couldn't get a hold of her. The other person didn't know me. I was like, she's going to put me back in jail. And, um, but that UA tech was like, okay, we have some options. Um, this one has to be submitted this way, you know, but, um, you can pay for the mouth swab or this or that. Well, I didn't have any money. And so, but she allowed me a little bit of time to ask somebody for some help. And I ended up to prove, to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, so she even impacted me. It really took every person that was put in my path when I was first released as a team to put me where I am today. And I don't forget any of them. Well, and it sounds like in a moment of uh, stress, anxiety, panic, mm-hmm. right? Because you you know how the system works. Mm-hmm. You see people go in and out. You understand that. So you know mm-hmm. that 
one quote unquote mistake or wrong move or choice could have huge consequences for mm-hmm. me. And so, um, someone listening to this might think, why would that be such a big deal? <laughs> like, right. Like you, mm-hmm. you messed up or you didn't submit your UA. Right. Um, and for people who are listening, um, these are common tests or evaluations for people along the way. So one of the things is urine analysis to mm-hmm. be, um, assessing someone's substance use yeah. to make sure that you're not, um, using if that's, if that's a part of the, the plan or the package. Um, so, um, so in that moment, knowing that like this one thing could mean something very big for me. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking about it so much because it's day one, right? Right. Like I just got my freedom back like two hours ago. Yeah. And so I can't afford to be messing up mm-hmm. um, at all and especially not this soon. So it sounds like someone just even communicating to you in the moment made a big difference for Huge. how you were going to cope with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I'm able to use that today. Like when there's clients that come in and, um, they get a false positive. They're claiming it's a false positive. Whether it is or not, I sit with them in that moment and I'm able to hear them. And just being heard sometimes is, I mean, it's priceless really. Just knowing that somebody's going to listen to you. I may or may not believe what they're saying. They may, they know if they're telling the truth or not. And really that's all that matters in that moment. Um, they have to live with that if they're not. But, um, you know, I don't get to judge that and I get to sit there and be with them. That woman with the UA tech then, she doesn't know. I may have did that on purpose, but she still found a solution for me because that's what I needed in the moment. Yeah. What shifted for you? Because it sounds like you were incredibly motivated coming out of prison. When did that motivation for you really start? Like, where was the spark for that motivation? Um, because you haven't stopped. You haven't stopped reaching for your goals. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the amazing things that you do just as a person and who you are. But when did that shift start for you? Um, was it in prison where you thought, like, I got to I gotta do something? Was it before you got to prison? Was it after you got out? I would say all of the above because it's been on different levels. Um, I, did, I did get clean a couple of months before I went to prison. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. I think that had I not, that my entire experience could have been different. Mm. Um, if I had gone in as a, a using addict. And why did you make that choice? I mean, a lot of people think I'm sentenced, whatever, mm-hmm. who cares? Mm-hmm. I'm going to like live it up until you have, mm-hmm. until I have to go. Why did you make a choice to get clean before prison? My attorney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He they gave um, you some recommendations. Yeah. To say, he said, uh, he said, you know, this is going to look a lot different for you Um, months prior to being sentenced. And it took a while for me to catch on to what he was saying. Um, But once I did and I started building a foundation in the recovery community and building that support, yeah, it was, it definitely seemed like the right thing to do. Um, And I'm still in contact with him today. I actually just last week, last weekend, I think, sent him a text message. We check in quite often. Um, Yeah, he was extremely instrumental in the very, very beginning. Um, like I said, it mm-hmm. takes everybody put in my path. I truly believe that. Um, and so, yeah, I got clean beforehand. And so my motivation then was just to get through the sentence. Um, it was actually 31 months and with good time, it would have been, you know, a little less than that. But then I was able to do the AIP program, which is alternate incarceration program. Um, and Yeah, so when I went in, I advocated for that. I I didn't have a high ACRE score, which was my um, 
I think it's the criminality versus substance use and how they monitor that. And so I really didn't qualify for treatment. Um, and really the reality is I just hadn't been caught up to that point. And so I had to prove that. I had to like beg them, you know, to, to let me into this treatment program. And so I did that. Um, and so then my motivation looked a little different. Like now I'm in this program and, you know, I wasn't in general population. And, um, and so then, you know, and during this time I didn't have contact with my kids at all either. And so I kept thinking like that was my end goal. Like it was going to be for my kids. It was going to be for my kids. But I, but I had no contact with them while I was incarcerated. And then at some point, my older daughter, I may have received a letter or something from her. And so we started having phone calls. Was the no contact by choice or was it? It was their, them and their father. It was their choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, they just didn't want anything to do with me. And rightfully so. Um, and then a couple months before I was getting out, my youngest daughter and her dad started coming to visit me. And so, so motivations just continued to change. You know, it, it wasn't, even though I wanted it to be for them, it wasn't for them because I didn't have contact for them with them. Um, but then once I started having contact, then, you know, then it started being a little bit for them. And then when I got out, it was, I just want to get through my trans leave. And then it was, I want to get off probation. And then, it, you know, all these different things. So it's just continuously changed. I think it's so interesting to to reflect back on what you said about writing your goals down and, mm-hmm. and thinking about, oh, is that it? Because you have continued to push yourself mm-hmm. in the field to help other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do. That was another part of staying at the call center for so long is I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then an opportunity came about with this uh, recovery organization that I'm a part of, and um, there was a peer support training, and they were scholarshipping some people. And I was like, hey, maybe I should look into that. So I did this training, and I was like, okay, that's that's it. I have to do this. What does peer support mean? Um, so... Oftentimes people just understand it as being a mentor. Um, so meeting people where they're at um, and supporting them along their journey. In a nutshell, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing our experience with them, letting them know that we're in their corner. So it's like things came full circle in a lot of ways for you because mm-hmm. then you ended up giving back to people mm-hmm. or continue to give back to people who have been in a similar spot. Right. And you get it, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've been there. Yeah. I mean, that makes a big difference with how you can connect with people. When mm-hmm. you said that you saw people in the lobby um, today and sat down and chatted, like mm-hmm. even though you're this many years into it, um, you're still you're still connected and mm-hmm. it's still important for you to connect with other people. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And my mentor, I, I didn't talk about her. I probably should have. She, uh, so the house, the transitional house came with a mentor. And the day she showed up to do our intake or something, I was like, one more person. <laughs> one more person. <laughs> I was kind of a brat. Because I was like, what is this woman going to tell me that I don't already know? That I, you know, I'm, I was, I got clean when I was 35. So I was like 37 at this point. You know, I'm a mom. Like, I know what I'm doing. I, I can navigate this life, and now I have this person who's here, and she's like, I need you to check in with me every day, and I need you to this, and I was like, oh, my God. But she turned out to be so instrumental for me, again, yet another person, <laughs> instrumental. Um, and so it's really designed, like, so perfectly. If the person, the inmate or the, the person struggling or whoever it may be, takes the suggestions, like, it's really there for a reason, the entire package. And... Um, I remember at call center job, it was their hiring process was real wonky. 
and um, she sat out in the parking lot. She took me to it, and she sat out in the parking lot for over three hours because I had to do this testing and all of this. And I was like, wow, she actually stayed, you know? And I wasn't real friendly to her up to that point. And, um, and so that was kind of a shift, and I remember a song played in her car, and it was, it was a song from Pink, and it was just so, it was perfect. The song Perfect from Pink, and our relationship just flourished from there. And she helped me be part of my success as well. Mm-hmm. And so I remember her when I'm engaging with other clients because um, I didn't, I didn't want to like her. You know, I felt like she was forced upon me. Um, and once I started to let my walls down, but she just kept showing up. Whether I liked her or not, yeah. she kept showing up. <laughs> and sure, she was paid to do it, but she did, that isn't how it appeared. You know, mm-hmm. she really cared. So... Mm-hmm. What was it like for you becoming a peer? Gosh, so incredibly gratifying. I can't... The the first job I had as a peer was with women with um, open DHS cases, mm. and they were in the process of getting their kids back. And I was fortunate. DHS did step into my life, but um, their dads came and intervened, and, and my daughters went to them before they went to foster care, thank God. So... Yeah, my first position was mentoring women who were in the process of getting their kiddos returned home. And just to be a part of that and, like, see reunifications happen and moms holding their babies and um, and then some of them not being successful at it, you know? It was um, a lot of emotion. But I remember my first... Um, my first real... Yeah, I would say probably an accomplishment. So it was this mom who, um, this mom who her kids were in DHS custody, and the worker wanted to return them home, but she was in no place. She was a prostitute and a meth addict, and um, I met with her, and she was that disconnect was mm-hmm. there because I that wasn't my story. That you know, I and um, parts of it were, but not the entire thing. And she could tell that right away. And so I had to really learn to um, change my approach a little bit to be able to connect with her because all I saw was a broken woman that needed someone to love her, you know, and support her through this. Yeah. And I wanted to be there for her. And um, so we just started, you know, it started off real small, you know, took her to get something to eat, um, didn't really pry, didn't, you know, that's for her to do, open up when she's ready. Um, she asked me to go to a DHS meeting with her caseworker, met her caseworker. He laid some things out, like if she can get housing, you know, we'll start doing some overnights, this and that, da, 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 da. And, um, I got her housing right away. I remember moving her into her house and, um, I got her a bed and I, I knew people that lived next door to the recovery house and I went and got her some sheets and she was like, wow, you, you really did this for me, you know? And her kids came home. Her kids came home within probably a month. You know, her kids got returned home. She was able to get off the streets, quit using, and her kids came home. And um, now she just completed college to be a drug and alcohol counselor. Wow. Stop. She did. And so both of her babies got returned home. She's had another baby, and now she just graduated college. I'm totally tearing up. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, I have goosebumps. Like, just, yeah. And that... So those moments, um, even though they're not all like that, those mm-hmm. moments make this line of work completely worth it, mm-hmm. you know? 
they're the ones I hang on to. Yeah, and you, and you sort of have to, right? Mm-hmm. Like hang on to those moments where like the people that you thought were less likely or you were like, there's no way that mm-hmm. I'm going to connect with this person right. or there's no way this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then it does and it surprises you, but in the right kind of way, mm-hmm. um, you hang on to those moments because there's so many more that are so hard, right? right. So many more people that, that we lose along the mm-hmm. way. So um, so it's tough. It's tough to hang in there. Yeah. You know, trying to engage with someone, like you were saying for you, getting out, you're like, I didn't want all these people right. asking me questions showing up checking on me mm-hmm. like leave me alone mm-hmm. let me let me just do my life but now you look back and you realize I actually needed all that right. like that that was essential for me to be successful yeah but it's hard to see that of course in the moment right yeah the three of us have worked with peers our entire careers that's just part of what um we know works in this field mm-hmm. and I think it's so cool that peers have a story but they're not only their story. There's so much more that you can connect with a person mm-hmm. around besides this happened to me and this didn't happen to you. It's really about how can you show up for that person? Like mm-hmm. you said, um, like your mentor sitting for three hours in the parking lot, you going to get sheets, like you showed up for this woman. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it helped her continue to believe in herself mm-hmm. and, and move towards finding some sort of a solution, even if it felt unreachable right. at times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, she was lost and just super lost and had been in such some um, traumatic and horrific experiences. Um, yeah, and just to, but I just kept showing up. And, and I probably learned that mostly from the mentor that I had. She just kept showing up, yeah. even no matter how much of a brat I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just kept showing up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was so, that was huge for me. Pivotal moment for sure. When you think about um, you interacting with the criminal justice system now from your role or your position, what's it like given all of the experience that you've had through it? What's it like now interacting with that system? Um, so part of my journey since I've been out is I went back and worked inside as a case manager inside the treatment program that I went through. Um, and it was super traumatic. Um, I only, I was only able to stay about seven or eight months. Um, and like physically I was reacting to that, to the job. Um, not the job itself, but the environment. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, like hearing the guards refer to people like they're not people. Then I actually thought, do I want to continue in this line of work at all? Because now I have yet another negative experience. Not my prison experience wasn't super negative. Like it, it was a turning point for me in my life and put me where I am at today. Um, but then going back in and, and it being somewhat negative, um, made me question what I was doing. Mm. And so when I left that job, I became, I just started working as an A&D counselor, um, which I had gotten that certification a while back prior to that. So I, you know, I actually started working with DHS moms again. And, um, and so, you know, that's the great thing about the recovery field is we can, we can make these changes if we have to. And if it's good for our own self too, because that's really important to be aware of, like, own self-awareness is mm-hmm. and for our own self-care. Um, and so I did take a step away from the criminal justice population. Um, and now being back in it, I want to see change because 
again, it doesn't have to define them, you know. So what if they have a rap sheet 10 miles long? So what if they've only been in trouble one time? It doesn't, none of that matters as to what they're doing today. Um, yeah, I've just had to be really self-aware and my, check my own motives. You know, why am I doing this work? And am I able to do it well? And am I doing it for the client? Or is it, um, you know, for myself and, and my own motivation? And if it's if it ever turns that it's solely for me, then I need to do something different because mm. I have to be there for the clients. How does it feel working with, it sounds like you had a positive experience with your attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, how does it feel interacting with people on the other side who you don't agree with? That's uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Um, you know, I had I had a great experience with my PO. I had a great experience with um, the only person that probably wasn't super great was the DA. And I have met him or seen him in the community since then. And he shake, shook my hand and said, I'm proud of you. And I thanked him for sending me to prison because it really did change my life. Mm. Um, and so that experience even turned itself around. Um, and so when I see people on the other side there's a lot of times where I just feel like screaming and yelling at them, like how this is a person that we're dealing with. You know, I remember one experience not too long ago where um, a woman got revoked and got sent to prison, and and I didn't think it was fair. Um, I really, truly didn't think it was fair, even though I had such a good experience in prison really did make my life better. Yeah, um, but you don't want to have to, you don't want her to have to go through that same thing as you. Right, and it just didn't seem like the the punishment fit the crime you know didn't make Um, sense no it didn't make sense at all and I remember sitting with her in the courtroom both of us just crying and um I was pretty upset with the entire team I didn't think that um her PO advocated enough I didn't think that the judge was willing to see what she did accomplish versus what she didn't um but I also didn't keep quiet about that I told him I I have a really strong voice when it comes to the clients and my passion for them Um, and I told him I thought it was wrong. It didn't change anything, but I still thought it was wrong. And so maybe with the next time they might think a little differently, you know, and I can't imagine sitting with someone as they're sentenced to prison. What was that experience like for you? It was sad. It was so sad. I remember just sitting, um, she was handcuffed up on the side and I said I'm going to go sit with her I, I really didn't ask I just <laughs> I just said I'm going to go sit with her and um, the defense attorney got permission you know he looked to somebody and let them know I was going up there and so I went and sat with her and um, I just so much empathy you know and she had not been to prison before so she reminded me a lot of myself like that first when I first went I was terrified I had no idea all I really heard was this, the horror stories mm-hmm. from maybe people I had dated or, you know, in that world. And it was way different. The experience was way different than what I had thought it was going to be. So I I could sense that fear for her, you know, and just really relate with her and let her know, like, you're going to make it and we're still going to be here when you come home. Um, You know, sometimes the faces change, but the community itself is still here. Yeah, but I remember being really sad for her. And again, probably I just didn't think it was fair. And so then even more sad because it, it didn't even seem like it made sense, you know? And so, you know, had she done something horrific or 
I don't know. They had their reasons, I guess. But I mean, it's even hard, right, to like sit here and think of a good reason mm-hmm. because when you think about the process of change and how much you've benefited from being in the community, mm-hmm. it's hard to think about pulling someone out of a community that offers so much help and right. support and kind of hoping that that's going to work and hoping that that gets better for mm-hmm. that person. Um, for you, it sounded like you had a positive experience mm-hmm. and it did work. However, we want to think about that, right. that it gave you stability or a new start. But that's not the case with everybody, right? And I think that you've probably experienced that being on both sides, Mm -hmm. being on the inside and outside. You see a lot of people cycle through. Mm -hmm. So not everyone gets a reset. Not everyone gets a start over um, that makes sense for them. Yeah. There was a girl in the transitional house with me that um, didn't complete her trans leave, went back, did two more years, got out, was doing amazing. Um, I was in contact with her all the time, going to meetings with me all the time. And a few months later, ended up um, relapsing and passed away. I mean, you know, so it's just like it it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't, not everyone has that same experience. And that's, um, I mean, I guess that's what makes our world the way it is, you know. Yeah. It's, everybody's different. But um, I'm just super grateful that my experience was what it was. And I'm able to be on this side of it now and, and but yet not forget you know, my process getting there, my process through it, and my process since then. What is your life like now? Um, probably my favorite word ever is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just feel like I'm so full of gratitude, even through struggles. And I've, this last year has been a difficult one. Um, I went through a divorce. Um, my husband, went back to his addiction and, you know, we tried really hard. I tried really hard, um, to, to bring him back to this side, I guess. And it just didn't work. And so I finally had to make a choice for myself. Um, but even through that, like that could have been like really life altering in a negative manner. Like I've seen positive, I found positive things in it. Um, I give back to the community, community in another way too. I'm a foster mom. You know, everything happens for a reason, and me and this boy have this bond that is out of this world, and he's um, he's amazing. Um, and I think that my experiences leading up to this with my past are helping him because I have that to give to him too. Um, and I'm open with him too. You know, I don't I don't hide from him. Um, this was my experience. This is where it led me, and here's where I'm at today. But it takes a lot of work. You know, we can turn you around right now. We don't have to. <laughs> You don't have to go down that entire road. So I'm super grateful. You know, I get to work with um, a team that I get to help build a team up that um, is going to have a ripple effect in the community, which feels really good. I just became a grandma this year. Mm. Oh, he's the light of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, just life is really good. I have friendships that, you know, something I sought, sought throughout my entire life was like true, solid friendships. Um, and I have those today, you know, and they're consistent. Um, and that's really important. How do you keep going even though things, like you said this year, haven't gone the way that you necessarily would have wanted them? Well, I constantly think about where I don't want to be. <laughs> and, and I get to see it a lot, right, because of the community you know, where I was and where I don't want to be again. And if I don't keep going, then I fear that it would take me back there. doesn't mean that it will, um, but I fear that, and that fear keeps me 
motivated to just keep going. And then I have support. Mm. Like that's the biggest piece for me is I have support. And I have it in a lot of different um, arenas, I guess. You know, I have my friendships. I have my family. I have my coworkers. I have um, a fitness community. I have my old attorney. I have, you know, multiple people that with whatever situation I'm going through, there's somebody I can talk to. We asked you questions earlier about a day out of prison, a month out, a mm-hmm. year. We kind of played through some of those things. And so thinking into the future for you now, what does tomorrow look like for you? Um, well, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and work out. That's really early. <laughs> that's really dedicated. Super early. Yep. <laughs> that's embarrassing for me. <laughs> um, so it starts early, ends kind of late. Um, yeah, and I just... I'm happy it's Friday tomorrow. Um, so I'll go and, you know, I, I'll i be support to the mentors at work. Um, my evening, my Friday evening looks like a recovery meeting and usually a, you know, little gathering afterwards. All of us get together. Um, Saturday, I get to go into CNEM Correctional Facility for a car and bike show. Um I'm riding in on the back of a motorcycle, so that'll be fun. That's cool. Tell us about what that means. Um, like being able to go back in or... Well, what is that event? So the event is a few prisons throughout Oregon do it every summer. Um, I've not ever been a part of them up until this year. But yeah, an organization that I'm a part of, um, they go every year, and a lot of them ride motorcycles um, or drive Jeeps. That's the two most common hmm. vehicles. <laughs> um, and yeah, they just go and they get the inmates get to experience some coolness from the outside, you know, and, and some of the prisons that they go to, those men are never getting out, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's just like they look forward to that every year. And they make these really cool plaques because they vote on the um, first place, second place, third place. Um, it's a big deal for them. And they get to see people who are living in recovery coming mm-hmm. back in, yeah. being part of yeah. of their life and their community mm-hmm. still. Yeah. And some of them are getting out. And so then mm-hmm. we're there and we get to introduce ourselves to them and, hey, we'll see you when you get out. And we'll be there. Mm-hmm. We're going to be there. You know, we're absolutely going to be there. What are your goals for the next year? So I bought a house last year. And so my biggest goal is to do home improvements um, and make my house my dream house. Um, Just continue to um, self-development, you know. I I believe in that. I read books. I listen to audible books. I listen to audible books. I don't read books. I'm in my car. I'm in my car a lot, so it's nice. My it'll just talk to me, and it's great. (laughs) I retain some of it. Still counts. Yep, absolutely. yeah, and just continue nurturing myself and my relationships and um, being open to where this journey is supposed to take me, you know? I think professional development things that I want to do, and I'm not exactly sure what that looks like yet. I, I never know until I'm doing it, really. It's kind of the way it's been. Um, you know, I do set goals for myself, and I will accomplish them, and then I'm like, okay, what's next? And and I just don't know until I'm in it, mm-hmm. in it really. Um And so I'm really excited. I'm excited to see where this next year takes me. You know, with what I've gone through in the most recent months, I think just kind of decompressing from that and and letting that settle um, and just keep moving forward through the process. Yeah. 
For people who are listening to our show and maybe they don't know much about the system, meaning people coming in and out of prison or jail, Mm -hmm. what do you think are the most important things for them to know about people who are going in and out of that system? I think it's super important to know that people going in and out of the system are not animals. They're not monsters. And it might take them a long time to get it, it, to figure it out. But um, Mm. I think that if the community doesn't give up on them and resources continue to be there for them, Mm -hmm. eventually they're going to get it. I believe um, having less judgment and more compassion would really go a long ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to understand, you know, when you describe, to understand how much work it is for people Mm -hmm. to build their life or rebuild their life. When you talk about all the things that you had to do on one day out of prison, um, that would stress any of us out for probably weeks at Mm -hmm. a time. And you had to figure all that out and get there um, in a day or two Mm -hmm. days. So there's a lot to accomplish in a short amount of time. I think it's interesting to think about, you know, these these deadlines or these time periods or like make sure, you know, you go to treatment for six months or do Mm -hmm. this in 30 days or whatever, all these timelines that the system gives, right? But that's not quite how change works. Right. And so when you're saying, you know, sometimes it could take someone a really long time to, like, get it, whatever it is, to get stable, to get clean, to, like, make a new life for themselves, um, I think that's really important for people to hear, Mm -hmm. that someone's not going to get it 12 months into a sentence. Right. Um, That might be three years down the road, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure that happened for you. You got out, and then years later you realized oh yeah, like that was a really important thing for mm-hmm. me or that was really significant. But when in the moment, right. you don't see it like right. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the people that I got, that I went to, through that treatment program with and got out who went back, I was like, what do you What do you mean you're going back? And some of them went back yet again even. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing really well. So sometimes it just, not everyone gets it on the first time, not everyone gets it on the fifth time. You know, it's it's really... I think a lot of it depends upon the support that they have. And they have to be willing to. I'm not just trying to, you know, sugarcoat it and say that it's, you know, the the inmate or the addict doesn't have to do any work and just get forgiven. But because um, there is a lot of work behind it and they have to be willing. But it's a process for sure. I also want the listeners to hear that a lot of what worked for you was the community rallying mm-hmm. behind you and people showing you kindness and compassion mm-hmm. and, and the type of kindness and compassion you show people now. Um, but like you said, they're not monsters. People are not animals. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about people's lives and we're talking about a little bit, truly a little bit of kindness, a little bit of belief mm-hmm. and empathy goes so far. And it sounds like for you that changed your life. Mm-hmm. It changed your entire life. Absolutely did. Yeah, absolutely, hands down. Um, I remember walking into my attorney's office that first day that I met him, and he had these binders that were like this with all the information from the case in it. And had he just read that paperwork and not looked to me as a human, I mean, who knows where I'd be today. But he said to me, you know, this. please explain this to me. Let me let, help me understand. And so him saying that with no judgment, and I felt safe, and I could admit for the first time I'm an addict, and I need help. And uh, I wasn't ready at that point, but at least I was able to say it, you know. And so when I meet clients that are absconding or continuing to have dirty UAs or 
um, not showing up to group or whatever they're doing or not doing. Um, help me understand what's going on. Just really, because I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, and I think that statement, help me understand, also is communicating. I want to give you an opportunity to... Um, to explain something, but I also want to give you a chance to make a connection with mm-hmm. you. Um, I, you mentioned earlier making space for people. And so help me understand also like give some space, like let's, let's fill in this gap here mm-hmm. and maybe along the way we could build a connection or some trust and I could help you. Right. Yeah. So when we were working together, um, as coworkers, you, one day you were like, oh, yeah, my gratitude list today was blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, here's Rochelle. She's doing these gratitude <laughs> lists, and I'm over here complaining. Um, what was on your gratitude list today or recently? Um, most recently, so this, when you install a yard, um, I did it with sod. So my yard started, it was weeds that were, some of them were as tall as I am. I'm five foot four. And, um, and it was hard ground that was just rocks and sticks and, Ugh. Yeah. a nightmare. And, um, and now it is a flat ground with grass and, um, <laughs> it's so crazy. It makes me so emotional. It's a yard, but I walked out this morning to turn the sprinkler on and I was like, I actually have a yard, you know, and it's my yard and I worked really hard. And, um, and so right off the bat, I was grateful for my yard. And then, and then I'm grateful for the foster boy that I have. Um, you know, we have this little routine in the morning that is just <laughs> priceless to me. I have heated seats in the car, and it was a little cold this morning. And on the cold mornings, when we get in, he turns these seats on right away and makes sure we're warm. And um, we listen to 95.5, the second date update, and we just laugh. And <laughs> it's just these little things that are, the little things mean so much, mm-hmm. you know. And so right off the bat, it was those two things. Um, you know, uh, mentors coming up to me today saying, we're really grateful that you're our supervisor. Um, and I've just learned that. I've learned who to be who I am as a supervisor from my prior supervisors, you know, or current. I could never stop with mm-hmm. being with saying my gratitude. I really couldn't, you know. Um, I'm grateful that I have my bills are paid. I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. Um, I have a car to drive. I'm able to put gas in it because there was a time where I couldn't put gas in my car. Um, Well, we are so grateful that you came after your long day of work, especially if you were up at four. (laughs) Um, Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I don't think there's ever been a time that I haven't cried by you. Like, almost any time. I'm, like, always crying next to you, so... um, (laughs) happened again today so (laughs) thank you for that I think also um, as you went through your story and you're talking about everything you've accomplished and how far you've come I feel like I've done nothing in my life (laughs) like you have you've been able to uh, work through overcome accomplish have success and then still give back Um, and so uh, really thank you so much for all the work that you do and I really appreciate you sharing your story thank you Thanks so much, Rochelle, for sharing your experience. If you would like to answer the question, when does a person's sentence end, please contact us at cagednationpodcast at gmail.com.
Thanks so much to the Portland-based band Argyle for allowing us to use their music as our theme music. 